to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And my next guest is a queer multidisciplinary theater artist and filmmaker based in Baltimore, currently serving as an ensemble member, artistic associate, and community liaison for the single current theater. Please welcome Tina Kennedy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, this is going to be great. It's, it's good to do the back end of we met in person. Usually it goes the opposite. Usually I'll do a podcast, not know someone, interview them, have them tell me their most inner thoughts. And then, hey, see you in person. You're like, oh, no, ugh, I shared too much. So it's the opposite now, right? We saw each yeah. other in person and now we're doing the interview. So that's that's good. Um, yeah. So let's let's get right into to it. I, I hit on those official titles, those official roles. Can you introduce yourself and give us those vital stats? Give it that that background, your creative interest, things of that sort. Yeah, for sure. So I am a multidisciplinary storyteller. That's how I've kind of started to couple a few of the things that I do now. Um, my background has mostly been in performance in theater. And now I've been branching out into filmmaking, uh, which has been really exciting. And uh, a little bit about me, I'm Baltimore born and raised. I was born uh, in Sinai Hospital, actually. And uh, I grew up in Baltimore County in Owens Mills. Um, and I uh, went to high school at Roland Park okay. and did a ton of uh, musicals, plays there with them. Um, really developed a love of theater and performance um, with with Roland Park. And then, it, you know, towards the end of high school, realized that this was something that I could do professionally, uh, ended up auditioning for a couple of schools. I was really excited about going to New York, you know, and going to the place where you make it happen and uh, uh, you kind of get to be on the great white way. Uh, so I ended up going to NYU, studying uh, acting, graduated from NYU, was in New York for one more year. And then I moved back to Baltimore because I got my first professional gig out of college here uh, in the city. And uh, for a while I tried to do the commute, you know, going back and forth, but paying that New York City rent did not make sense. So I finally uh, decided to uh, come back and I've been back in Baltimore for the past four years. That's great. Um, I think I, I've I've romanticized about that idea of doing a commute. I was like, oh, I can go back and forth. And uh, one of the professors I know, he does that. He's in his 80s and he, he was doing that commute for a while. And I'm like, look, I look up to you. You're super smart and you, you like to blow the gas as well. So gang, gang, gang. And, right, uh, right. <laughs> and I was like, if you're doing it, I was like, I'm in my 30s. I was like, I might be able to make it happen. And I took one trip up there and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. I was like, I don't think know. this is going to work. I don't think it's going to be a fit. I was like, we're, <laughs> no. we're remote right now. We're, we're in a digital age, folks. Um, <laughs> so I read that that most of your work uh, had been in like the theater up until like 2021. And then your your debut documentary, uh, Breathing Black, premiered. What mm -hmm. made you create the documentary? What kind of in, in inspired that? So we were, were deep into the pandemic. Yes. And I had been working with another um, company I work with called Submersive Productions. And we do a lot of uh, immersive theater experiences. So I was working on a, a play that would happen in a window. Uh, and I was really interested in that. And, and it was something that I was really excited to develop. And um, then George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were murdered. And nothing else mattered. Like, I felt like... I needed to be out there. I needed to be protesting. I needed to be 
doing mutual aid. I need to be out in the streets. And I took a step back from, from art making. And then I was in a, you know, a deep time of being really sad. And, and um, as I'm sure a lot of us were, and I, after being in a long period of being in therapy and, and, you know, trying to work through a lot of what was going on, my therapist kind of asked me, how do you replenish? How do you recenter yourself? How do you get back to um, joy? And I couldn't answer that question. I wasn't really, I wasn't really making art. I wasn't doing a lot of things that brought me a lot of joy at the time. And I decided that I, I had something to say. I, I wanted to answer that question for myself. Um, and I didn't have the tools that I usually use uh, to answer those questions, which was the theater, because theaters were closed. We're in the middle of this pandemic. And I decided that it was film. I was like, I wanted to do a film about joy, about Black joy, about Black healing. Um, and I basically decided to kind of take this leap of faith in a medium that I had never really had any experience in. Um, but I really wanted to make something that I needed at that moment, um, something that I needed to remind myself that Black people were here, were breathing, were, were thriving, um, and were joyous. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think sometimes when you, you have a question that you don't have an answer to, that's at least something that is something you can follow up on. You can, you can go through like, you know what? Like, for instance, let's say if something doesn't exist, you often hear about, man, this thing I didn't, that this thing that I wanted didn't exist where I was at, so I made it. That's right. that's that's what, I, what, what I'm hearing there. And even, even going back, um, I go back to when we were here, right? Um, with Freddie Gray and I was doing, I was doing therapy like concurrently and I just remember it came up. My therapist was like a geeky, queer, like white dude, what have you. And we were just vibing on, like having conversations about like Japanese mythology, all of these different things. Yeah. And then he'd ask me, he's like, as a six foot four black man, he's like, how is it for you? He's like, I, he's like, I don't know as a white guy, I don't know how to ask. He's like, but I at least want to get an idea. Cause he's like, I can see there's a different energy on you. And wow. I told him I was like I didn't. I was like I was walking here. I was walking to the um, to the to his office, and I saw a police officer like getting out of his car, and I walked the opposite direction. And I was just like, right. yeah, that's that's run so counter, but it was just baked in. It wasn't like just a fear response because I've I've felt those before, and they felt a little bit. They feel more intense. This was more yeah. of like, nah, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with this right now. It was kind right. of that. So he wanted to like really kind of understand that. And um, just to see if that was something that would come up in conversation and it, it became like just kind of something we connected on um, of just like trying to better understand that because he's a tall guy as well as a big guy as well. But he's, the difference is he's a white guy. And he's like, right. if we're both in the elevator, he's like, I feel like they are going to trust me and then they're going to look at you like you've done something. He's like, we're kind of basically the same dimension. He's like, we're in the right. same setting right now. Right. So it was a really interesting time to talk and hearing that part of what kind of motivated your project, uh, your film, film, your documentary, it ha has like similar roots in that. That's that's big because I think too often we run into this notion of it has to be black trauma. It has to be 
some of these seedier things is not full fully realized it's not a full dimensional like thing like there's a full spectrum of emotions that we can have we right. we, we, we don't talk about black love as much we don't talk about black joy we don't talk about right. black, black black resilience as much um but we always go back to were you a slave at one point or, or right or like right. wow black wow. pain yeah where's those guns right. coming from wow right so, right what are you so happy about it, it's yeah. great to hear that you you took that that leap of faith and did something that it's like I don't know this medium like you you know you did something that was different I like that yeah yeah no for sure my mom she she's a therapist so I literally am like yo therapists like I just really um, appreciate the work that they do and I'm like I need to start paying my therapist royalties for this for this project because <laughs> you know without her who knows so. Tell, tell me about some of the lessons you may have learned through the process of going into being a being direct, being a director and with regards to how specifically black Baltimoreans heal. I learned so much uh, <laughs> as being my first time uh, directing a film from lessons in funding and, and timeline. I think that I learned a lot about having a lot more conversations with people you want to collaborate with and knowing their rates. <laughs> This was something that I, I, I sort of just started the process very early, not really knowing where it was going to develop, if it was going to happen. Um, and now looking back, I, if I were to, I want to do it again, I want to have those conversations with my collaborators up front of, hey, this is my rate. This is how much, you know, I want to say my work is, is worth, um, as opposed to later on in the fact of, hey, this is what I can offer you. Like, I want to be able to um, pay them exactly what they're worth and more. Um, so moving forward, thinking about the funding and uh, grants and all of the things that go into a budget. Um, I wrote my first grant for this project. They had never written a grant before. That was a huge learning experience. And uh, I, I learned so much and have a different perspective going into it now. Um, I learned a lot about interviewing, the skill it takes to interview, what you do. It is <laughs> such a skill. That was something I, I learned a lot about. How do I just have conversations with people. How do I make people feel comfortable? How do I also give my editor what they need to put everything back together? Uh, I learned a lot about just feeling comfortable interviewing people. Um, and uh, in terms of healing and how Black Baltimoreans heal, I can't speak for everyone because um, I only got to really sit down with nine individuals specifically. Sure. Um, but when the event happened, which was not only the film, but we had a breathing circle, we had interactive questions for people to do during uh, during the event. I'll say that I've seen that people just want to sit down and talk to each other. Like that's something that people, even myself, are really craving. Like just sitting down, talking about Black joy, talking about narratives surrounding Black joy. People want to sit down, they want to laugh, they want to commune, they want to gather. Um, that was a really big takeaway that I had from this process was there was such a need for it. I mean, you know, especially with the pandemic, that was something that was a driving force of people just want to sit down and, and have a conversation. Uh, so that was a really big thing that I took away. Yeah, we're we're like it, I, I have my own bias. Like sometimes people are much more clean and savvy about it. sometimes I like to go raw with it. Black people like to socialize if we're if we're keeping it real. And mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I think ma more macroly speaking, like humans, we humans are social cre social creatures, but black people it's it's a different thing for us. And I think when it was restricted and I just can go by in in a very small circle of, you know, people that I'm around, family members and so on and 
I'm fine with being insulated. I was like, I can do this and this kind of supplements it, right? Where I can get on there and I can chat with someone that feels like it's a conversation, but you know, family members like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do, man. I'm just stuck here. I I can't like get on the phone. Nah, I gotta be in person. I was like, what? <laughs> and so yeah, and, and it's it's a coping thing, like my my dad or my brother they may have a certain thing that happens that they have to deal with and they're not really sure how to sort it so it's like let me call robert real quick i was like i don't want to talk right. to anyone <laughs> but i i do that because i know that's what's what's needed and i think mm -hmm. that's one of the lessons that i learned in that in in the now we're in season three of uh the season the, the season season three of the, the series of covid uh that um <laughs> that's what that's what they need and it's like i may not need it but in that same way, but you give people what they need. And I think that's, that's a, it's a conversation that this is, it almost feels like this is the very beginning of that conversation of really sorting through because generally speaking, I think a lot of black folk don't really dive into mental health and how to be joyous and how to be well mm -hmm. as much as maybe some of our counterparts. And that's a that's a huge disservice. So with the work that you were doing and your your documentary and the work that a lot of people are doing, it's like let's move towards that. Let's move towards right. giving people what they need. And I looked at the onset of things that happened uh, in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty, and even a little bit now as we record this in twenty twenty two, that it's a wake up call. It's a wake up call mm -hmm. to kind of unplug from certain things. Like you have the uh, what is it? The Great Resignation. People are looking at these mm -hmm. old systems like these things don't work. We were kind of just blind right. and tapped out on it. No, no, no. And and I'll, and I'll and I'll leave on this. I remember, I remember when the news around Breonna Taylor, the news around um, George Floyd popped up, and it was just out there. And I was just like, y'all couldn't even like. And I not saying like I, I'm not putting it past them. I was like, y'all do that. That's what y'all do. Y'all kill black people. Right. I love black people. That's just what right. happens. I was like, a pandemic wouldn't even stop that? Come on, guys. Y'all got to do better. I know. <laughs> you know? Tell me about it. <laughs> and, I, you know, you try to make some sat satire out of it, but it's like, this is painful. This is, You try to deflect, for, at least for me. I know one of my mechanisms is, how can I make this into a bit? And right. I just remember in one of the other podcasts that I did, um, I was just like, man, with all of these like white people getting up in arms, I feel like I, this is an opportunity for me to come up with like something that's just dog whistling to them, like patriotic ice cream or something, but it's just like terrible flavors. And then I'm using the <laughs> funds to benefit things that they hate. Like, look, can I get some money to like, like tr some trans health advocacy or like, yeah. some, like BLM yes, yes. at the bottom of each, each cup, you just see black lives matter hashtag on an ice cream. That's like, he's gotten yes. us. <laughs> Investing in it, yeah. and that's when it just gets surreal. And that, see, like I said before, it's just somehow I'm going to get canceled just because it's a running bit for me. It's like, how can I have fun? I love it. So I read that you're, and this, this is this is great. I read that you're a brown belt karate. Um, are, are there any aspects in practice in a martial art that can be applied to your creative practice or practices? I love, I love that you found this out. This is this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, yes, we're getting deep. Um. So, absolutely. I think that studying martial arts, I did it from the age of six until like 17. So I did it for a long time. Um, karate definitely taught me discipline uh, and, and work, work ethic. It was something that I, you know, it was something that 
was expected of me to come in, learn my, my katas and my drills and go away and practice. And, and that to be kind of a solitary thing. Um, nobody was going to be over me being like, oh, are you going to do your pretest or your test or your next belt or your next strike? Like it really had, to, it really forced me to be the one to do the work uh, outside of my classes. Um, so it taught me a lot about, about discipline um, and kind of just being a self-starter, like doing that work by myself. Uh, not only just in the classroom or with my instructor. And then I also feel like it helped me with really appreciate uh, the power of feedback, like doing something, putting it out there and then getting critique, getting feedback and then going away, practicing and, and coming back better. That's yeah. something that I really appreciate with art making is how do I kind of um, build up an armor to get that feedback and, and, come back and and be able to bounce back you know sometimes it can be hard to get some feedback or get critique um and it can really it, it can sometimes be painful uh, mm. but i think that because i've gotten so much critique in, in karate um growing up i was able to kind of build that um that armor and be able to to come back and i really appreciate getting feedback um so karate has really influenced influenced a lot of parts of my uh, art making it's always great to find now granted it has martial art in the more macro view of it but it's always interesting to find like practices that may be dis dissimilar that kind of mm -hmm. influence influence others like uh like oh karate is like oh it's making me a better in, in this area mm -hmm. and um you know i remember i always go back to this this interview where it's a guy was like i might listen to a guitarist to kind of his approach to playing the guitar to have a better understand how to be a visual artist and i was just like okay I, uh, that's something that really interests me like you're taking something that these have no similarities i can't find one right. and it's like no right. it makes me better i was like all right cool um and i believe you might be the fifth martial art practitioner that's been on this podcast What's up? That's awesome. Yeah. If you have the chance, go back and listen to um listen to Jerkworks this episode. Uh, my man Tony. Okay. Uh he's a chef. He's a dope chef, does jerk chicken, all of this good stuff. And mm -hmm. I believe he's he might be a brown belt as well, the karate. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was oh, like, wow. do you use it in the kitchen? He's like, sometimes you have to. <laughs> I was like, all right, man. Cut those, you know, cut it up my hands. <laughs> right. Like, where are those bricks at? Um, <laughs> so, in in a more macro sense, right? Um, because you're you're you've shifted or you're shifting to have more of an interest because you you touched on you want to maybe do another documentary, right? And yeah, so. How, what is your overall vision for for your work as it's like moving in maybe a film direction? So I'm really interested in documentaries. Uh, specifically, I've always loved the idea. With the next documentary I'm, I'm thinking about is like really uplifting and highlighting aspects of specifically Black history that haven't gotten the light uh, shed on them that I think they deserve. Um, I'm really interested in in that specifically when it comes to like Black history. Um, and I feel really passionate about also creating narrative films. I'm kind of starting to work on creating my first feature that I'm going to write. Um, and so I'm really interested in, in, in kind of possibly retelling stories we think we know uh, or, or just learning things that are new. Uh, I'm really feeling excited about, uh, yeah, documentaries, telling new stories. And another aspect that I'm really interested in specifically when it comes to uh, filmmaking is exploring um, work culture 
like and the people we work with and uh, all the relationships and subtleties that come out of that. So I'm really excited in those areas. And then I, I have a love for horror. I'm a big horror, <laughs> uh, thriller, psychological thriller fan. So I'm over here trying to trying to make some scary movies too. So it feels like a, there's a lot I want to explore. I dig it. We'll, we'll, we'll be having another conversation because I have uh, several ideas that I've just been sitting on and it's, and I would imagine kind of maybe what you kind of experienced of like, how do you get started on some of these things and being able to find the easiest path being that the, 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 the prospect of even doing it, the proposition of doing it, doing a film, doing whatever is inherently not easy. But it's like, how can I simplify this uneasy thing and make it programmable, make it something I can replicate? And um, I've, I've got documentary ideas. I've got like short, short stories. I got um, I have this one idea that's it's almost like, can we make Atlanta, but in Baltimore? Because I feel like we don't really touch on the yes. weirdness that is Baltimore. Yes. Yeah, we need to talk because yeah. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to kind of, you know, bounce back ideas and I'm ready yeah. to make it happen. Okay, then we, we this is a postscript. Y'all, y'all didn't hear any of that. What I just said. <laughs> um, so I got a f- I got a few more real questions before I get into the really, really, really interesting rapid fire questions. Uh, <laughs> is there a particular show that you've worked on that you consider your favorite and, and why? Oh, this dreaded question. I, I have an answer, but this question is, it was so difficult because there's just so many great ones. But I have to say that a show that I loved and learned so much from was a show I actually just did at uh, Arena Players in Baltimore. Um, I just finished doing a play called Day of Absence by Douglas Turner Ward. And it's a satire um, and it's about an imaginary Southern town where all the Black people have suddenly disappeared. And the only ones that are left that are in hospitals and they're, you know, won't wake up because they're, you know, ailing. So infants are crying because they're being, you know, attended to by strange parents. And uh, basically the mayor calls the president of the NAACP being like, where are the Black people? You got to send the Black people back to us. And it's fantastical. It's comical. And the whole catch is the whole play is done with Black actors in whiteface. So it's a play on. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Rob. Yes. So this was a hilarious play because... It, it, it was painfully true. I mean, it was a satire. So there was so much in there that was just hysterical. Um, at one point, uh, you know, they're actually, the town, the white people in the town are freaking out because they noticed that people who uh, had been passing are missing as well. So they're like freaking <laughs> out and being like, oh my gosh, they were infiltrating our town. We, we, I can't believe this is happening. So for me to put on white face, to put on a blonde wig, to kind of try to embody a white Southern woman, it, yeah. it, it blew my mind. I, it was the most challenging experience. Uh, and I grew and I, I learned so much because I don't usually do comedies and I wanted to push myself to, to do a comedy. And I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and then I'll also say it taught me a lot about um, kind of, again, looking at Black history, looking at putting ourselves uh, within a context, because this play was written in 1965 um, when Black people are, you know, are struggling for a lot of uh, civil rights. And I feel like our director really gave us a lot of 
um, the background, the setting of when this play was written, while keeping that on our backs while we were performing, remembering what this was written for, when this was written, what they were trying to communicate. Um, it was a ton of fun. It was really funny, but it, it had a really deep history. Mm -hmm. um, and I've never been in a play uh, and worked with a director that really communicated that so clearly to me. Um, he had us watch things uh, like Gone with the Wind to make sure that like I had never seen that before. I was so opposed to watching that um, for so long. And he was like, that's part of our history. We have to know, we have to see ourselves functioning in history, um, seeing the way um, that Black people had to function in the overall growth uh, of our nation. It yeah. was something that I really, I grew so much from that experience and uh, arena players and the work that they do. I have nothing but um, respect for all the folks over there. So it was an amazing play. That's great. I, I, I can almost hear it like dialogue, like, what are we going to do? We don't have any dances to take from TikTok and all of this. Different. <laughs> we have no culture to ape and friggin' like cannibalize and vulture. Right. I just, I just feel like Literally. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Literally, that was literally how it went. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about hidden meanings real quick. Um, aside from your work, do um with regard to the work that you enjoy right so um mm -hmm. things that you're into whether it be like you know film movie whatever right um do you prefer the messages in it to be more concealed vague or let's just out there overt like look there's no inter this is what i mean i said what i said what which do you prefer when you're kind of consuming content consuming media when i think about the work that I really enjoy. I'm going to throw out some names. I love uh, all of Jordan Peele's work. I love Mike Flanagan specifically talking about uh, he did Blind Manor, Hunting the Hill House. Yeah. Again, more horror stuff. Uh -huh. I love looking for those, uh, as Jordan Peele, I've heard him kind of say those Easter eggs of like looking for certain connections, certain meanings, certain things you want us to take away. Like I'm that person that's looking up, you know, the reviews, looking up uh, watching the director talking about the film and, and trying to figure it out. I love that. Like, I just love um, creating things and watching things that sparks conversation and gets mm -hmm. people kind of trying to figure out certain things. So I think that uh, those are the kind of things that I like, um, especially in, in the work that I'm kind of consuming. But I don't want to be in a place where, like, I'm questioning uh, if you're for me. Like, I I've seen work where I've been, like, all right, yeah, cool. Like, I, I see the message that you're trying to, you know, get for us. Or I've seen work where I, I'm questioning, like, I don't know about this. Like, was this made for me? Like, I don't really know mm -hmm. who this was made for. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm feeling a little weird. So I, I don't, <laughs> I don't ever want people to question, you know, who, who I'm riding for. But I do like to kind of have uh, things where I'm kind of looking for certain connections. I dig that, um, and I and I like that. One, uh, one. I'm I'm a horror fan. I got the Shutter account. I'm I'm, I'm getting busy, right? Um, yeah. And I'm, I might do a movie review podcast that you might want to have a listen to because it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I might have to have you on an episode or so. We'll we'll talk about. Oh that. my gosh, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of look for those same things, and you know, I, I like to to question it of when I'm watching something when I'm consuming media. It's like, all right. I guess this is, I, I get the point, but it may not necessarily be for me or, all right, this is a bit much guys. Like I go to that. Did you watch, um, horror noir, the, like the mini series, not necessarily the documentary. No, I didn't see that. You, you should check it out because it's, 
it is so on the nose at times. It's literally there is a racist blanket killing black people in like Atlanta. What? Oh my god! It, it, oh my god! It just it, it descends into comedy. Like literally, there's some bald Nazi guy in the artist's bed, and he's like five foot six or something. He's like, ah, I'm bringing the devil here. And I was like, what is this movie? It was on Shutter. It was on Shutter, and I giggled for like three hours. I was like, this is hold up. I was like, look, I'm in. I get it, but also this is not executed well. It's <laughs> a lot. It's like all right, but, but when I told people about it, I was like, yo, there's a movie with the racist blankets that are killing street artists. I was like, I'm just letting you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know up front. It's like, look, oh, I man. hope you enjoy it. <laughs> it was like one of those instances where I, I think the, the person was maybe a little too overt with it. It gave me that vibe of this certain concessions were made. That's what that's what I felt about Ooh. it at the end of the day. But I feel like the filmmakers like, look, I don't care. I'm going to make whatever concessions you want me to cast whoever. I'll tell you one thing, though. This is going to be in it. I'm going to have racist blankets. Racist <laughs> <laughs> blankets? Like, oh, my gosh. Um, what an idea. <laughs> the, the, last, the last real question I have is this one. Um, describe a time where someone gave, like, gave you that shot that really kind of helped you, whether it be and your 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 theater, your performance um, side of your career, your 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 work, or your film side, uh, and doing a documentary because that's something that was a very much a you thing. Like, look, let me make this happen. How are we gonna do this? You know? Right, right. <laughs> um, I definitely have to say that the company I work with, Submersive Productions, the artistic directors, literally from you know conception of the idea, have been so supportive. When I thought about breathing black, they, you know, this was something I had never done before. They believed in it. They, they helped me write that first grant. Specifically, uh, Ursula, who is one of the artistic directors, she helped me write the grant. Gave me feedback um, with the grant, and I was so afraid of kind of stepping through the directing door and kind of, like you said, it being me, this being my idea, this being, you know, the person who's going to be out on the front talking about it. And to receive that support and that that belief throughout the entire process helped my career so much because ultimately it changed the way I thought about myself. It changed uh, my ideas about what I was capable of achieving. Um, and it changed what my aspirations were because now I feel like the sky's the limit. I wanna do more films. I, I feel really excited about filmmaking. Um, and I think that that is the most powerful thing it's helped my career is changing the way I think about me. It's huge. That's huge. Uh, I, I, I like as, as you're, as you're talking and uh, I'm just here and I was like, there are more similarities than I would care to admit between how you're describing how things have worked for you and how you kind of see things and the way that I kind of approach things. It's like, Give me that one. Once I have that first one under my belt, then I have the confidence to go on, as I was saying. But before we got started, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for the next movie one. First one, my head's going to explode. The next one, I was like, yo, let's get it. It's a big wave here. It's yes, like, yes. You know, that's my Aquarius yeah, alien. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, exactly. I love it. <laughs> so um, that's the end of the real questions. And now I'm going to hit you with, uh, I got four, <laughs> I got four um, rapid fire questions. And, here we go. These are, 
how, however brief you can answer these, that's what we're looking for. Because some people are like, look, I need to explain why I like Raging Bull as my favorite movie, and I don't want to <laughs> judge. It's like, no one's judging. Yeah, that's what it is. All right. Right, right. First one, uh, can you name two hobbies that you have outside of your work in theater and outside of filmmaking? Like, what, what other things take up your time? Traveling and reading. Where where do you where where do you like to travel? This is not one of the rapid fire questions, by the way. I'm just interested. Oh my gosh, I love traveling so much. Uh, my favorite place I've ever been is Amsterdam. So I loved Amsterdam. Nice. I want to go to Africa. That's somewhere I really want to go. Nice. <laughs> What's the last song that you listened to? Ooh, uh, the last song I listened to was um, "Essence" by uh, Thames. Terms? I forget. I forget who it's by. It's called Essence, though, uh, and I know one of the versions of the song has Justin Bieber featured on it. Okay. Um, I read that you're a drummer. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite drummer? Like, what, who comes to mind? You're like, yeah, you know, I really, I really get loose on Lost Alright. That's not a good one, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> who's your favorite drummer? Oh my gosh, I love this is going up. Um, gosh, there's so many good drummers. <laughs> Who is my favorite drummer? Um, gosh, I, I feel bad because I, I, who's my favorite drummer? I love The Roots, and so I, I feel bad that I'm blanking the, the drummer for The Roots. Oh, um, Questlove? Questlove, yes, yes, yeah. I love Questlove, and I love all his work, so Quest, yes. He and I share a birthday, by the way. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, wait, when's your birthday? January 20th. What's up, Aquarius? Gang, yeah. Uh huh. Uh, me too. Me too. I knew. I knew it was getting something. I was like, "What's happening here?" <laughs> yes, Aquarius for life. <laughs> so I got two. I got two more. Um, describe the last text that you sent. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I love that. I, I heard this from a Jonathan Groff interview, and I was like, "All right, I want to see if people actually do the real thing." Because he was like, "Well, let me check." <laughs> I know. I'm really like, actually, can I go look? Because I'm like, I actually want to answer this. So, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. All right, so the last text I sent, I went on a walk today with my friend. Yeah. So I literally said, so nice seeing you for a walk, heart. <laughs> that was the hey, last text I sent. That's a nice message. <laughs> Mine's was like, yo, can I get like, can I get like an extra like slice of cheese on this? No. <laughs> just me ordering food. Everything is just some version of me getting food or receiving food or thanking someone for food. It's always food related. All right. This is the last one. What is your hottest take? It could be anything saying, look, man, this movie is buns because of X, Y, Z. What is your, your hottest take? Oh, I got it. Um... Uh, this is just the first one that popped into my head. KFC is not good, y'all. It's not. it's not good. It's not good. Popeyes is way better. I don't care what anybody say. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't like KFC. I'll, I'll throw this one to you because my, my, my partner turned it into, she was like, oh, you're in a contrarian spiral. I was like, what do you mean? And that became the name of my LLC, Contrarian Aquarian. But... Um, <laughs> Literally, one of my good friends, he got a he got a um, he had premiere tickets to a Star Is Born, and I kept talking about how much I hate Bradley Cooper. So she's like, 
huh, you hate Bradley Cooper, but you got tickets to the premiere of the movie that he's singing, directing, and you got a little misty when his character dies? She's like, how'd you cope with that? How'd you deal with that contrarian spiral that you were on there, Aquarian? I was like, oh, huh. She's like, huh, you had that guitar pick that they gave us, too, that commemorative one with a signature on it. I was like, look. And then I watched Nightmare Alley yesterday, and she was like, so again, uh, oh, Bradley's back, I see. You got me. I was like, look, you know what? I was going to pull out and just be, I'm just going to watch this movie. <laughs> you need any wine? Like, just, what do we just one. <laughs> So that's all. So that's all of the questions that I had. And this has been a lot of fun. Um, I want to invite you to share where to find folks can um, check you out, follow you, check out check out your happenings that are coming forth. For sure, um, you can follow me at my sweet tea, um, my underscore t underscore uh, or sweet underscore t, and t has two a's in it. To keep up with me on Instagram, I have a website, uh, tinacandy.com. Uh, which will have um, just more information about more screenings of my documentary, Breathing Black. We're hoping to have more public screenings for people to see because um, a lot of people couldn't join us for the premiere in December. And then you can keep an eye out for me performing with Single Carrot and Submersive Productions. I have a show at Single Carrot that's coming out in June. So you can keep an eye out for that. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank uh, Tina Kennedy for coming on to the podcast. And I'll say that um, there's art in and around your city. Uh, you just got to look for it.